All right, all right. Let's grab our seats. Here we go. Here we go. All right, all right. All right. Hey, so, so we're continuing in our Genesis series, hence the big tree. We missed the sermon with the snake because that was going to be really fun, but he's still there. Genesis 3, we did that on Facebook Live. So we were here for Genesis 1 and 2, the creation, and then online we did Cain and Abel. Oh, we, did, we did Genesis 3, the fall, and then we did last week we did Cain and Abel. So this week we're continuing, and we are in Genesis chapter 6, which is the flood. The flood. And so turn to Genesis chapter 6, and we'll be there in just a moment. I'm feeding back. Am I doing something? Woo. All right. Do you guys remember, um, uh, I think it's maybe almost a year ago now, but uh, several months ago at least, uh, in Hawaii, uh, there was, you know those alerts you get on your phone, like uh, if there's a storm coming, like your iPhone or whatever will send you an alert, not a text, but like an alert, or there's an amber alert that comes up, and like everybody's phone's like, "Eh, eh," going off, right? Well, you get those for storms and things. Uh, uh, Six, eight, seven months ago, something like that, uh, this happened in Hawaii. And the alert came to everyone's phone, and it said this. Ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. Can you imagine if you got that alert on your phone? Like, what would you do? You're thinking, oh, it's a storm or something, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm about to die. Thanks for the heads up. You know, at that point, it might be better not to tell anybody, right? Just let them be surprised, right? But, But what would you do in that moment? If you get that on your phone, maybe you're, you're, you just got off lunch and you're, and you're headed back to the office and you're like, where do I seek shelter? Under a bridge? Like, what, what do you do in that moment? Do you think, oh, I'm going to run home and go see my family, right, so we can get blown up together? <laughs> what do you do in that moment? What if I were to tell you that the world is going to come to an end, that the world is about to come to an end, what would you do? Would you take a page out of Tim McGraw's playbook and go skydiving? And go Rocky Mountain climbing, go 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. I'd hope to get 2.7 seconds. Would you feel the need to go and try to make up for lost time? Would you need to go be around your loved ones and hug them and kiss them close for their last moment? Or maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here for whatever reason. But in that moment, you might even decide to find yourself praying. How would you react? You see, the people in our story this morning were faced with such news. The people in our story this morning were faced with this moment, and they saw this crazy old man named Noah building this giant boat for years and years and years, and they had never seen rain. Like, they didn't even know what rain was. Rain, what is that? They had to think that this Noah guy was some old crockety dude off his rocker, building this giant, huge boat. Like, it's not the size that we see in children's books, right? This thing is three football fields long. So long, Tom Brady couldn't even throw that far. Amen? If it had air in it. Man, the panic that these people must have felt after they had seen this guy build this boat for years and years and years, and they're, you know, This guy's a joke. They're writing him off. And then they felt the first raindrop. Can you imagine? Uh Uh-oh. 
Oh, crazy Nola was right. And they all start grabbing their things and taking off toward the boat because they know where it's at, right? And they're taking off toward the boat. And they to get there only to find that the door has been shut and that they can't get in, that there was no hope. In the New Testament, Matthew 24 says, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Basically, they were having a good time until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. And so will be the coming of the Son of Man. You see, here's the truth, guys. The world really is going to come to an end. God really is going to come in judgment one final time to end all time. And when he does, the question we have to answer this morning is where will we be and what will we be, what will we be doing? When this greater storm comes, do we have the hope to make it through? So let's read our text this morning and learn about the God who rescues in the midst of judgment. Genesis chapter 6, starting verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. And so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark. Finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark and keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. One of the birds according to their kind, of the animals according to their kind, of creeping things on the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall you come into and keep them alive. Also, take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this, and he did all that God commanded him. This is the word of the Lord. So as we walk through this story this morning, there's really four things that I want you to pay attention to. And we're going to go through them, and then we're going to go back through them with New Testament glasses on. And so they are remorse. I got four R's, all right? This is, this is impressive. Four R's. Remorse, renewal, rescue, and remember. So first, remorse. The first thing I want to see this morning is that the remorse of God in creating the world. So in week one, we saw God created the world, right? And when he created the world, what did God say about the world? That it was good. And then he created people, and God said of people that they were very good. Right, so God has designed the world to, to flourish and to thrive and to work together and to be this perfect harmony, this paradise of a world, right? That's how he has created it. And he calls it good. 
But as some time has passed, we saw in Genesis 3 on Facebook Live that there was a fall into sin because the snake tempted Eve and she ate the fruit. And so now everything is fractured. Everything is broken. There are thorns on flowers. There are uh, animals eat each other and eat us. And there are storms and there's death and there's cancer and sickness and all kinds of evil. And there is violence, the likes of which we can't comprehend. That's what you see in this text several times. Moses mentioned violence. You know, it's interesting. We live in the least violent time in the history of the world. And we think there's a lot of violence going on. And we live in the least violent time in the history of the world. And so imagine the type of violence that was happening in Noah's day. And so you hear you have this world that once honored God and loved God and cared about the things of God that has now, is now in rebellion against him, did not love him, did not honor him, didn't care about him. And, and, and God describes it this way in verse 5 when he says, so God looked at the earth and it was wicked. And here's what he says, verse 5. Every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. Every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. Man, we should follow our hearts. Seems like a good idea. That was funny. So God looks down at this world that he once created that was so beautiful, and now it is in shambles, which leads him to this response in verse 6. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. The, the Lord, God regretted and it grieved him to his heart that he had made man. See, the world had gotten so evil that God wished he had not ever started this thing, never created the world, never did any of this. It has become so unrecognizable to the world that he made that he is now saying he wished he had never made it. But it's not the word regret that I want to really look at this morning. It's the word grieved, that it grieved him to his heart. I want to zoom in on for a moment. Why is it that we grieve? Like what, what does the word grieve mean? When do we grieve? We grieve when we lose someone that we love. We grieve when someone is taken from us tragically. We grieve when someone is no longer with us when we miss them. Every one of you in this room uh, who's over 10 years old probably has, has experienced a grief. You've lost a grandparent or maybe a parent or maybe a child. You know what it is like for your insides to feel like they're in knots. You know what it's like to feel that pain, that hurt, that heartache. You know what it's like for, for to have lost someone 10 years ago and for a memory to come back in your mind and in a moment be brought to tears for missing the person that's been gone. <clears throat> we know what it is like to grieve. And so when God looks at his creation and those people he's created and the state that the world is in, the state that people are in, God is hurting, he is grieving. And this is huge because it tells us something about God. Something we learned week one was this, and this is important. In week one we said that God doesn't need anything, right? He is perfectly content in the Father, Son, and Spirit in his Trinitarian awesomeness relationship in himself. He wasn't lonely, he didn't create the world because he needed something or anything like that. He was fine, but he still creates the world. And so if that is true, do you know what that means? That God grieved? See, the only way that God could grieve over the state that we were in, over losing us, over the world falling, was if God voluntarily decided to knit his heart to ours. 
See, God had no obligation to love us. He wasn't forced into it. He doesn't have to do it. But he becomes vulnerable and chooses to knit our hearts so closely with ours that when we rebelled against him, it broke his heart. God became so vulnerable that he was able to be betrayed. And so he grieves. He grieves. It grieves him because he is not this God up in the sky who is indifferent to the workings of humanity, but rather he grieves because he is a father to children who have now ran away. It grieves him because he cannot let the world continue in the direction it is going that God had to act. When he looked at the world and how evil it is and how broken it is, he couldn't stand by and do nothing and let the world sink more, deeper and deeper into chaos, into brokenness and violence, into more suffering and more pain. No, he has to do something about it. He must bring renewal. Even though God loves the world, he must come in judgment He must come to renew the world, to start over, to give humanity a chance. And so really, in the flood, here's what's happening. God is giving the world a bath. He's giving the world a bath, a bath to remove every spot and blemish, every stain of the world to remove all brokenness and violence, a bath to cleanse the world of everything that had gone wrong. And another way we might say it is this, that God is baptizing the world. Because in baptism, there is death, and resurrection. There is death and there is new life. And as God covers the whole earth with water, as he floods the whole earth, he is literally, listen to this, he is literally taking the world back to day two of creation where the whole world was water. He is starting over. Maybe you're like me and when you have a tech problem in your home, like whether your router's not working or your computer's not working, you spend a lot of time trying to fix that before you ask anybody else for help, right? Like, so I do that. I, I can fix this. And if I get to the point where I can't and I call tech support, it drives me crazy because I'll get on the phone with them. I'll say, hey, you know, my, my modem's not working. My router's not working. I got no internet. And they're like, okay, can you go ahead and unplug that and restart it? Man, I've done that a hundred times. Can you go ahead and do it one more time for me? No! It's not the problem, right? And they always do that, right? They always say re, restart it first. Why, why is that? Because normally that works. Normally restarting it works. And what we see here is that God is restarting the world. We even see it when, it, when Noah gets off the ark in chapter nine later, God gives him the same command that he gave Adam and Eve, right? To be fruitful and multiply. So God is cleansing the world and giving it a fresh start. He's committed to setting the world right. And we know this because he's already promised this. Remember, remember back, maybe you weren't here on Facebook Live, but in Genesis 3, what does God promise? That Eve, you're going to have a son who will one day crush the head of the serpent and end, and end evil and forever, destroy it forever. God is committed to renewal. He's committed to setting the world right. And so what does he have to do? He has to send rescue. There's remorse. He's gonna renew, but he's gotta send rescue. But there can be no rescue in this scenario without two things. He's got to have two things. One, he's got to have people. If there are no people, there can be no rescue because people, like we said, are creating the image of God and are the crown jewel of creation. You cannot renew the world unless there are people in it who are imaging God and spreading the glory of God around the world through their image. So if you wipe out all the people with the great flood, there can be no renewal. 
But the second thing is that the promised child who's going to come to crush the head of the serpent, if you kill all people, you kill him because he's in the line of Adam and Eve. And then he goes to Seth. And if you destroy that line, then God would become a liar and could not keep his promise. And so as God prepares to baptize the world and remove everything and everyone has been broken and marred by sin, he remembers his promise and his love for his people. And in verse 8, we hear these words of hope that says, but, there's always this but. It's always but, right? God is going to blow everything up, but. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So God is going to provide this rescue through Noah to deliver him from his wrath and judgment that is coming. And so he sends him plans to build a boat, a boat of deliverance, a boat that no matter what calamity may befall the rest of the world, that they can face the judgment of God that is coming. Noah will be saved. But the question that we need to answer this morning is why Noah? Why does Noah, of all people, get saved? The verse says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Oh, okay, so it must mean that Noah was holier than everyone else. It must mean that Noah was better than everyone else. It must mean that Noah was more committed than everyone else. No, that's not what it means. You see, the word favor in Hebrew is the word chin, and the word chin means grace. You see, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In the word, what it literally means is to bend or stoop in kindness to another as a superior to an inferior. And so it is God stooping in kindness toward Noah. So God shows grace and kindness toward Noah. It's not because Noah is better than everyone else. You see, God's rescue always, can, always, always, always comes to us by grace and grace alone. There is no rescue of God that can ever come because you go to church. There is no rescue of God that could ever come because you were a good person. There is no rescue of God that could ever come because you've given a lot of money to the church. There is no rescue of God that comes apart from grace and grace alone. God being the superior one, stooping down low to you in kindness. You see, we enjoy the favor of God even though we have done absolutely nothing to deserve it. You see, so by God's grace, Noah is a righteous man and he walks with God. God does more than just rescuing Noah. We see, really, he begins to set up this pattern. That there could be one who represented the many. You see, when Adam sinned, what does the Bible tell us? That we all sinned in him. Adam sinned and we all sinned in him. Right? When an Israelite king was righteous. God looked at all of Israel as righteous. But when an Israelite king was wicked, God looked at all of Israel as wicked. You see, the one could stand for the many. And so by God's grace, Noah walked with God and was righteous. And so God saw Noah's family the same way. We don't know anything about Noah's family. We don't know if they were good people, bad people, if they believed in God or not. But Noah represents them. Noah stands in the gap for them. And God extends his mercy to Noah's family because Noah stands for them. But we still haven't fully answered the question, why Noah? If it wasn't because he was better than everyone else, why does God choose Noah? Why not Bob? Why not Sandy? You see, Noah was the 10th generation removed from Adam. He is the ninth great-grandson. And his great-great-great-great-granddaddy was named Seth. You see, Noah 
is the promised child. He is the seed of the woman. He is the one to whom will come the one who would crush the head of the serpent. You see, if Noah dies, if Noah gets swallowed up in a flood, God would not keep his promise. If Noah dies, there would be no promised child. There would be no Jesus to come and to crush evil forever. So by saving Noah, God saved every one of us who put our faith in Christ. You might even say it this way. For God so loved the world that he rescued Noah so that he would have a son who would have a son who would one day come to save us all. You see, we believe in a God of rescue and a God who rescues by grace and grace alone. And so God sends an ark so that when the waters of judgment and renewal come, we will be saved. So there's remorse, there's renewal, there's rescue, but then there's remembering. See, after God sends the flood and everyone dies and Noah and his family are saved and the waters subside, God makes a covenant with Noah and with the world. And that he says he will never destroy all flesh again. And he gives the world a sign. Signs are important. He gives the world a sign to remember this promise by. And what is the sign? A rainbow. Verse nine, chapter 9, verse 16. And when the bow is in the clouds, I will see it. God said, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. Do you know why it's a bow? Because it is a picture of a bow and arrow. And what God is saying by putting a rainbow in the sky is that I am laying my weapons down. He's saying, I'm putting my bow down. I'll never destroy it again. And God always remembers his promises. And let me tell you something so fascinating. In Revelation chapter four, verse three. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and around the throne, this is in the future. Do you know what is around the throne of God and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. You see now and in the future in the throne room of God, there is a rainbow always reminding God of his promise. So if we ever doubt that God might be angry with us and he's going to destroy us, we can know that he will remember his promise. All right, now hold on to all of that, all right? Hold on to all that because now we've got to do the harder work of taking our New Testament glasses, putting them on, and reading this story in light of the end, in light of Jesus and what all has happened, and see, uh, because this is a great story, right? We can learn a lot about the nature of God, about who we are. We can learn about how bad we are, and we can learn about how God sends rescue. But this story is but a shadow. It is but an arrow pointing us. It is but a shadow meant to show us the real thing God is doing in our lives. Or as I've titled the series, this story simply whispers his name. It prepares us for his coming. So let's put those on. Remorse. In the story of Noah, we see God's remorse over his creation. We see God grieving right over the fact that God created the world. But a few thousand years later, things have not changed. There is violence. There is evil. There is brokenness and wickedness. There is people dying. There are cancer. There is sickness. There is death. There is disease. There is famine. There is war. The world remains in shambles. There is still remorse in God's heart over the world because it is not how he designed it. Matthew 23 says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. 
how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. The world has rejected God and lived wicked lives. Even God's own special people have rejected him. So Jesus comes and he calls people again and again, come, trust in me, I will give you rest. I am the ark that you can escape the waters of judgment that are coming. Come find rest in me. And we would rather live our own lives the way we see fit. And so God's heart is still broken and he is full of remorse over the world. And so there is renewal. You see, there has been a plan from the beginning since the fall that God has planned to renew the world. The renewal that we see in this flood story with Noah is but a picture and a shadow that there is a greater renewal coming. It is to remind us and show us of the renewal that God wants to bring in our lives and in the future. You see, because there's a problem with the renewal in this story, with Noah in this story. There is a problem. Do you know what it is? Do you know why this renewal didn't work? Because Noah took something on the ark he shouldn't have. Noah took something on the ark he shouldn't have. Do you know what he took? He took his sin. And so preserved in that ark that saved Noah and his family also preserved the very problem in the world. It also preserved the very curse that's in this world. So the renewal didn't actually take, it didn't fix the problem. But brothers and sisters, we await a greater renewal. Jesus came to this world as a human with a physical body. And do you know that that's important? Like why did Jesus not just come as like a spirit and hover around and float around? Do you know what he is saying about the fact that he is physical and that he was raised physically from the dead? He is saying that this world matters. The physical world matters. I was sitting in my favorite Sunday school class this morning, my best friends over here, and we sang a hymn, Victory in Jesus, which is a sweet, it's a great hymn. I think it's the third verse. It's given us this promise. It says that, you know, that there, oh man, I can't even think of the lyrics now, but we were just saying this morning about how there is a mansion, that God has built a mansion for us in glory. But can I tell you this? That is not the promise God has made for us. He has not just built a mansion for you up in the clouds. He is fixing this. He is not, when you die, ready to take you on up to heaven so that you can be a spirit floating around in some ethereal mansion forever but rather he is going to raise your body from the dead and your hips that hurt and your joints that hurt and your sickness and all everything that is wrong will be undone. He is going to raise us from the dead. He is going to renew the whole world, everything in it, not just take us and escape us up there. Fix this place so that we will run and not grow tired. We will walk and not grow faint. The, the, all the brokenness, all the systems and the, and, and, the, and the racism and the poverty and the injustice in this world is going to be undone. It is going to be rolled back. It is going to become untrue. God is bringing renewal here, not up in the clouds, but here. Not in a mansion far away, right here. God is not looking at the world saying, man, you know, I tried to create a world, but you guys screwed it up. So let's scrap that. And y'all just come on up to heaven because heaven's where it's at. He's saying, no, y'all screwed it up, but I'm going to fix it. 
Our eternity is not spent in heaven. It is spent in a new creation. You see, if you are in Christ, then your story will end as all good stories do, that they will all live happily ever after because God is going to renew the world. But he can only do it if he rescues. He can only do it if he rescues. And so this wonderful fairy tale of renewal does not have to be a myth. It can be your reality if you would come to Christ. You see, the ark in this story that saved Noah, the ark was a prototype. It is a symbol. It saved Noah, yes, from the flood. It saved his family, yes. But do you know that no boat, no matter how big, could ever save from the wrath and judgment of God? No, do you know what truly saved Noah? Romans 3 tells us that Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, this shows us God's righteousness because in his divine foreparents, he passed over former sins. So do you know what God does? God takes Noah and he puts him on the ark. And he says, Noah, you will be saved. But how does God deal with the problem of his sin? He stores it up and he holds on to it. And thousands of years later, when this promised child would come, he dumps the wrath that Noah deserved onto Jesus. And as Jesus on the cross that saved Noah, saved Abraham, saved David, saved everyone in the Old Testament, and it is the same way that God saves us. And do you remember how Noah represented his family? How the one could stand for the many? How Noah's family could be saved because he was righteous and found favor in the eyes of God? Do you know that that is still true of us? See, when you are in Christ... It's not that God has just forgiven you of your sins, though he has. But when you are in Christ, he is the king who represents you. He is the one who represents the many. He is the one that represents us. And so now when God looks at you, he doesn't just see a forgiven sinner. He sees a son and daughter of God who was perfect and blameless and has never, ever broken his law. When you are in Christ, Jesus represents you. He stands for you. And when the father sees you, he sees him. You see that there is a storm coming and God is going to bring this renewal and he is going to wash away every part of the curse away, but not by water this time, but by fire. And the question that you must answer this morning is when that great storm comes, will you survive it? When that great storms, where will you seek refuge? Will you hide under a bridge? Like you do a tornado? Will you find a bomb shelter? Will you go into the basement? Will you stand in the doorway? You see, there is only one place that we can take refuge. It is in Christ. The true and better ark. He is the only one who can provide us rescue from the wrath that is to come. And if you are not in him, you will be like those in Noah's day who mocked him and said, what a silly old man warning us about rain that is going to come and flood the world that we're going to die. What a silly old fool. But brothers and sisters, if you do not take refuge in Christ one day, you will be the silly old fool. You will say now, man, you know what, church, it's just not for me. Organized religion has hurt more people than I could count. It's not for me. You know, you might say, I'm a good enough person. I don't need all that. But when the storm comes, you will change your tune because, brothers and sisters, it will be too late. Like the people in Noah's time, you will run to the door and say, Jesus, let me in, but it will be too late. And I don't say this to to, to fear monger, right? Because I don't want you coming to follow Jesus out of fear. 
But at the same time, this text is a warning to us that judgment is coming. The end of the world is coming where he's going to make all things new. And your story can be one of two things. Your story can be the one where you have judgment over your sin, which you rightly deserve. Or your story can be one of renewal. One where your greatest dreams come true and the God who is going to make all things new, you get to be a part of that. You get to be in that world where you get to live happily ever after. And the question is, which story are you going to be in? You can come to Christ today because there is still room on board the ark. Your ticket has been paid for and there is rescue for you if you would come. But finally, we need to remember. See, when we doubt... Every one of us in this room do this. When we doubt that God really loves us because we screw up a lot, we mess up a lot, when we get weighed down by guilt and shame and when we think, man, you know what? God could never forgive me. I've just screwed up too much. God has given us signs to remind us like the rainbow. He has given us signs to remind us of his love and of his rescue. The first sign is baptism. You see, when you doubt that God could forgive you or still love you. Remember your baptism and remember what your baptism signifies, that you were once dead and that you've been raised to new life, and that God did that. And the second sign is the Lord's Supper, that as we take it, as we take his blood and take his body, we remember that he was broken for us and that forgiveness comes to us again and again and again. And just like the rainbow, hear this, guys. Just like that there is a rainbow in the throne room of God that is a reminder that God is not going to flood the world again. Did you know, do you know that there is another reminder in that, in that same throne room? Who sits at his right hand? The lamb who was slain. And the Bible tells us that he is interceding for us. And that Jesus still has the scars in his hand and the scars in his feet and the scar in his side from where he was slain in your place. Do you know what that means? It means Jesus who stands at the Father's side is a constant reminder. They are mine. He, she are mine. They are clothed. They have been washed. There is no judgment for them. They're mine. It is a constant reminder to God in the moments of our guilt and shame when we don't believe the gospel. God remembers the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. He always sees it. And he says, those scars were for you. Those nails were for you. His blood speaks a better word. Jesus is the true and better ark that really rescues us for all time. His blood speaks a better word than all the condemnation and the whispers of the devil that says you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. He says you're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're loved, you're mine. So when you doubt, look to the signs and remember that God sees a sign too. That beside him is the one who was worthy to open the scroll, the lamb that was slain. You see, because God kept his promise to Adam and Eve... And because their great-grandson finally came, he indeed crushed the head of that ancient serpent. And he no longer has any hold on you. He no longer can deceive you. Believe the gospel. So what if I told you that the world was about to end? What if I told you that God was coming to judge and destroy everything? What would you do? Brothers and sisters, here's what you should do. You should stand in a humble confidence 
Because your God is a rescuing God who though he comes in judgment is coming not to end the world, but renew it. And no matter what, even when you mess up, you are safe because sitting beside the father is the lamb who was slain, who always remembers you and says to the father, no, they are mine. They're good. Brothers and sisters this morning, believe this. This is good news. This is good news for you. Believe it. Whether you believe it for 50 years or this morning, you need to believe it for the first time. There is a rescue from the storm that is coming. And more than just rescue, but renewal in a world of the likes of which you have never even seen or imagined. And he's inviting you to be a part of it. He's inviting you to join him in that. So let's pray. Father, this morning, we're going to have a time of response, and I'm going to be up here. Some deacons will be up here. And God, if there is anyone in this room who doesn't know you, has not had that rescue, God, would you give them the courage to come talk with me or one of these other men about that? If there's anyone in this room who is feeling uh, weight of guilt and shame over their past, God, would you help them to believe the gospel? God, if there's anyone in this room who just needs to come and kneel at these steps and just pray and confess, just work through something, maybe pray for a loved one, God, we pray you give them the confidence to come and do that. But God, if we just need to stand in our seats and just sing and just sing to the one who has sent Christ and Christ alone to be our ransom, to be our advocate, to be the one who stands in the gap, the one who stood for us, the one who is the true and better ark. God, let us sing to him with a new, a new voice, a, a voice of appreciation, a, po- a voice of gratitude, a voice of worship and praise, for he is worthy to take the scroll. He is the lamb who was slain, who sits at the right hand of the Father, who is interceding for us. God, this morning, would you put all of our eyes and our gaze on Jesus? Not on what's for lunch here in a few minutes, not on what we gotta do later, but let us focus for the next couple minutes on Jesus and his great love for us, that we were so sinful that Christ had to die, but so loved that he was glad to. That though you have great remorse over this world, you are going to renew it, you are going to rescue us, and that you will always remember your promises. God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, all those people said, amen. I invite you to stand and sing with us. We'd love for you to pray up here. We'd love for you to pray with us, whatever you need.
for you. Uh, if you would uh, come to back this middle door right here, I'd love to meet you for one. And then we want to just give you something 
uh, just to say thank you for joining us. Um, Deacon's ordination service tonight. Please be here at six o'clock. Church uh, family, just to love on those guys and uh, lift them up in prayer and and uh, as we ordain them. Uh, and then finally, uh, we're gonna do if you're if you're if you help with the chairs, we're gonna do something different. We're only gonna take the back five rows and kind of set up, begin to set up for upward. So if you can help out with that, it'd be great. Love you guys. Peace be with you.